Support the Amigos podcast and keep the Amiga goodness flowing for just a dollar a month. Visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos podcast. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodovkar Schaller. Welcome to episode one of Amigos, the Amiga podcast. Uh, my name is John Schaller, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Dowdy. How's it going? And uh, we're going to talk about Hybris this week. Uh, but before we get into Hybris, we're going to do a couple other segments. We're going to start things off with some Amiga news. Amiga news. Uh, the first Amiga news I wanted to get your thoughts on, Aaron, All right. is uh, there is a new book uh, about the Amiga out, and it's called Commodore Amiga, a Visual Compendium. Um, now, this is a hardback book, and it uh, is very big. It's 400 pages, so we're talking about a massive, weighty tome. <laughs> um, and it is a visual compendium in that the pages are all just gigantic screenshots. And uh, there might be a little blurb, you know, from a programmer or, you know, one of the, the luminaries in the Amiga world. Um, that takes up maybe, you know, an eighth of a page or something like that. But by and large, it's just huge screenshots. And uh, so, you know, this book is 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 massive, but it's not cheap. It's almost 50 bucks. It's 30 pounds. Um, do you think there's any value in having a big Amiga book like that? Oh, absolutely. Now, is this the book that was, they had a Kickstarter on? Yes. And these cats also did a C64 book last right. year. Right, right. Uh, the C64 book I saw... Um, some internals, you know, some shots of. It was very nice. I'm not, uh, I'm not a C64 guy. I mean, I like the C64, but uh, uh, I like, I like what I saw. Now, the Amiga book. I saw a few pages out of it. It looked awesome. I would buy it if I had, well, fifty pounds. It's what is that about seventy five uh, bucks? No, it's thirty pounds. Oh, it's so, thirty pounds. Yeah, so it's about fifty bucks. Forty five, fifty bucks. It's a coffee table book. That's about right. Yeah. You know, all things considered, that's a pretty good price. I would be very interested in it. If I saw it, I'd pick one up. I like screenshots. I'm a old, crusty fellow that likes to look at old, crusty screenshots. So, <laughs> But I know those guys, the photography was excellent. So I think there's a market for it. There's certainly a market in, in the UK for it. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, Retro think... Gamer, you know, the Retro Gamer magazine has probably some of the finest quality paper layout everything i don't know what it is about american magazines but they've always seemed to lag behind their uk counterparts you know, and I, that is a great magazine and i think i think uh that one of the cats that's behind that uh that amiga book uh is from uh their that the retro asylum oh and really think, i'm pretty sure that one of the guys that well, i think he did that one of the guys also was involved in the c64 book and i think he's one of the retro asylum guys oh cool. so which I, I love those guys but uh good book i'm sure it'll be good and uh I wish it would come over here, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if you do want to order that, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and uh, it's available from Funstock.co.uk. 
Um, this next story is uh, one that seems like there's a lot of these kind of Kickstarters going around, like all of a sudden, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, wider availability of, of these injection molds or what, but there's a new uh, Amiga 1200 housing, pro housing project Kickstarter uh, where they're actually remaking the casing for the Amiga 1200. So I guess uh, the 1200, like a lot of, you know, boxes from that era suffers from yellowing and uh you know brittleness and stuff like that so what they're doing though is they're not just making a new shell that's exactly like the old one but they're making different sized ports i guess a lot of people have taken their 1200 and added like a compact flash card uh reader uh hdmi out stuff like that and uh yeah i was as surprised as you when i heard HDMI, that you say that's baffling <laughs> yeah but uh so this this new uh this new case is going to have space you know slots cut out for all that stuff in just the right places and what i thought was cool that i didn't know about the 1200 is it actually has an lcd screen or yeah lcd screen on the keyboard have you seen that before i have uh i can that's a good idea uh i i'd wager they'll charge a few bucks for these but there's Definitely a market for it. My 1200 has a compact flash card in it, uh, which a lot of people do on the IDE port. And uh, boy, it'd be nice to have an external uh, port in the case to where I can mount that on there so I could actually pull the compact flash out and put other ones in. That would be outstanding because right now I have to disassemble it. It's a pain in the butt. I've seen other guys that have, uh, uh, you know, floppy emulator, you know, cards and digital screens that tell you when the uh, when the drive's running, which is there is no drive, it, it, you know, it, it'll tell you, the, it'll give you the loading stuff. It, they're pretty neat. Uh, it's a good idea if they if they don't go bananas in the price. and I think it's about 60, 70 bucks right that, now on the Kickstarter. That's not bad. Now, what's a new, or not a new, but what's a 1200 go for just, you know, these days online, you think? Holy smokes. I, you know, I'll tell you something. The second I got mine, I stopped looking. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very fortunate that I was gifted my 1200 and I had been looking. Uh, but uh, honestly, I would not be surprised if they're going for five hundred dollars. Wow. But I mean, they, I could be way off. It'd be three, but mm -hmm. uh, they don't but make these aren't no these aren't hundred dollar computers. New. That's the thing. So sixty seventy dollar case for, mm -hmm. for especially a, a one that's been modified to the degree where they've got a screen and stuff. Uh, you're you're going to pay top dollar for one of those. Yeah. Now, was the twelve hundred the only model that had that LCD screen embedded in the keyboard? Well, that's none of them had that actually. That so what, whatever whatever you're talking about is something that's been that's a, that's an additional modification. There was they didn't have an LCD panel in them. Really? No. So whatever you looked at must have been something that had someone had modified. Huh. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. They, want, that, that was an additional. In fact, I think now, again, I'm not on top of the all the uh, modifications. It's all European. There's no one selling it over here. You have to import it. But I, I've dipped my toe in the pool and. Uh, seen some people that have put those lcd panels on the on there and i think it's i think there's a it's part of an over like i think like a floppy emulator card you can get i think that's a, a additional benefit that you can hook up an lcd screen to oh, it, okay. but, but don't hold me to that yeah that sounds right because there were all kinds of readouts and stuff on there yeah that... it, it, i think it's it will tell, tell you the uh the percentage of, the, of what's loaded it'll it'll give you information of, uh, about the, what, what you would normally hear i guess of a disk drive was spinning stuff yeah like that. 
And uh, these are available in all different colors. Uh, the coolest one, I think, is the transparent one. I think if I was going to have one, that would be the one that I want, just because it's neat to look inside and see the uh, the working innards of any machine. Yeah, that would be neat. I, I'm wagering also that LCD panel probably gives you memory information, mm. which is pretty sort of vital on the Amiga. So mm. that wouldn't surprise me either if it was something along those lines. It seems like I seems like there are programs out to support that that will I don't know if they let you set up what you want or something, but it seems like I've seen that. Did you have to do a lot of memory management, you know, with applications and stuff on the Amiga, like you had to with, like, OS 9, you know, in the old Mac days? The Amiga memory conundrum, that's a show in itself. I mean, the the uh, you've got to consider that Amiga stayed backwards compatible for the most part through its entire run. Mm -hmm. And that's through different chipsets. And you had uh, what was called fast memory, and you had chip memory. And then uh, you had certain applications or games that require some of one or some of the other. Some wouldn't run if you had some of, of, of if you had fast memory, it wouldn't, it didn't like it. Uh, the Amiga, it's a, it's crazy. The memory stuff is, it's not like the PC where you could go in with like QM and stuff and, and change the, the amount of memory or change how it's allocated. In the Amiga, you just either had the chip RAM or fast RAM or you did not have the chip ram or fast ram there was no there was no in between <laughs> um well you know that sounds not you don't think that uh you know putting a new case on an old computer is going to do anything to its collectability or value down the road do you tough question i'd say i'd say if you're putting a new case on it to accommodate yourself i'd say that's okay I don't think, in all honesty, it probably would enhance the value at this point. That's what I was thinking. You know, I, I can see both sides, but on the Amiga, especially with the amount of uh, new boards and whatnot being developed for the, some of the some of the machines that really could use those additional ports, it's it's a good idea. It's much cleaner, mm -hmm. you know, than you would have with the old case. Plus, you're not cutting into those old the old cases, right, so those are stashed, and you've yeah, got those to fall back on. Exactly, because I mean, nothing. Nothing would be worse than going in there with a Dremel and really doing some damage to a, you know, a, an old yeah. case. If you could just take that off and put it away somewhere. Because I, I modified my CD32 with a with a switch, and I was it was killing me to, whether I should dig into this thing just to mount the switch. And it, I eventually just put the switch inside <laughs> of it and just didn't do it because I couldn't bring myself to bring it something to cut it. You know? Yeah. So that's a that's a little bit of a Amiga news for this week. Um, and uh, I guess the biggest piece of Amiga news is that uh, this is our, our first podcast, and uh, it just, by happenstance, we I promise we didn't plan this, but nope. this is also the 30th anniversary of the Amiga, to the day. Uh, so, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are all kinds of online celebrations going on on all the Amiga boards today, and, uh, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting is that a couple of days ago on Facebook, I saw a story of a school system that bought an Amiga new 30 years ago, and uh, they just now decommissioned it. Did you see that? I sent that to you on Facebook. I, I did I did catch a glimpse of it. Uh, I'm not surprised. The Amiga, due to its uh, the, the way you could use chroma key stuff, chroma technology, you could use it on uh, uh, television, video type, type stuff. They ran stuff for a long time. Uh, they... I'm not surprised. I know for a fact uh, 
Shane Armand Rowe mentioned on his podcast a couple years ago that they were still using them at a uh, tourist uh, destination out in like Arizona or something like that, that one of the kiosks. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a long time, they ran the uh, preview channels on your television. They ran that stuff forever. So it doesn't surprise me that they just took one out. And they're and they're durable, obviously, because we're still using them. Yeah. Now, I don't think that the uh, – I think it was an Amiga 2000. So I don't think it was the very first Amiga model. But, uh, you know, the 2000 just came a couple of years after that first one. And, and, and they're very similar. I mm-hmm. mean, so uh, uh, the, uh, the video – the, the basic video didn't change in terms of what you could do with the chroma and stuff. So it, that doesn't surprise me. The 2000 is a, 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 a bigger machine than 1000, but uh, it's not really all that much different. Mm-hmm. So kudos to uh, Amiga for producing a machine that is uh, still alive and kicking with. You know that they haven't really been doing any sort of maintenance on, you know, school systems. They buy a computer and they set it up in a room and they just let it go. So If, if only Commodore had that much longevity. <laughs> so... Uh, that concludes the news segment this week. Uh, let's move on to hardware. So this week's hardware is the Amiga 1000. Uh, and Aaron is going to tell us a little bit about the history of the Amiga 1000. Sure. Uh, for starters, the, the Amiga 1000 was the first Amiga I ever owned. It was a, uh, uh, I don't know, coming off the PC, it, it looked like a pretty uh PC-ish machine. It had an. It's a, It was the Amiga with an external keyboard, which is nice. Uh, the uh, keyboard plugged in with a, almost like a telephone jack, which I always thought was kind of strange. So this is like a pizza box style machine, right? Where you've got the box and then you've got a cord that the keyboard's attached to, or is it an all-in-one? It's a. It's it's a pizza box okay. style. In okay. fact, there's a little like. In fact, a lot of people call it a, a, a keyboard garage. There's a the front of the of the of the Amiga had a little. Opening, it had stood on these tiny little legs, and mm-hmm. you could shove the keyboard up under it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it could be self-contained if you were going to transport it or something. Well, it didn't stay there. It's uh, just it was just an empty slot okay. that you could shove the shove the keyboard. Uh, as as we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, the Amiga was released uh, July twenty third, nineteen eighty five. They had a they had a gala event in New York. Uh, they had um, uh, at, it was at the uh, Lincoln Center. It was a big deal, sorta. Andy Warhol was there. Debbie Harry was there at launch, which I thought was kind of neat. I don't know who Debbie Harry is. I'm not going to lie to you. You're kidding me. Well, they were uh, Blondie. I was, I was four years old. Blondie. I know Blondie. That's her. Okay. All right. Why? why you know who Andy Warhol is, right? Yeah, I know who Andy Warhol is. He was a big Mac guy too. He was just kind of whoring himself out. To well, all the you know, what you it was. I will say the, the Amiga was. Uh, they were trying to get artists on board, and yeah. it wasn't. It's an artist. Especially for music, it was an artist, an artist machine. You know, t- today I watched the very first Amiga commercial. Have you ever seen this? I don't know. It's very uh, 1984 inspired, like the Apple commercial. Um, instead of having, you know, this lady with a hammer running through halls, you've got an old man kind of exploring this, looks like a museum with no- nothing in it. And then he approaches the computer. And just like the Apple commercial, they show you absolutely nothing about the computer itself, but he just looks at the computer and the rays shoot out. Have you seen that one before? I, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's it's uh, it's very, you can tell that, you know, where where we were at in terms of advertising. At well, that time. I'll tell you, Commodore made some of the worst commercials. <laughs> they were just god-awful. And uh, so I'm not, ter- that doesn't sound that good, <laughs> to, be, to be honest with you. Um, the, uh, the 1000 launch price... Twelve hundred ninety-five bucks. Uh, the uh, monitor you could get a thirteen-inch monitor with it, three hundred bucks. Monitor was a good choice. Uh, 
when the thing when these interlace modes you get a lot of flicker on a on a television the monitor does a good job still got a monitor uh the monitor is has blown up but uh work in progress uh the uh it shipped with uh amiga basic by microsoft kind of wacky with microsoft that was the, one of their things they were doing back then was make they were doing all the basics hmm. um the uh the it was a uh, motorola 68000 processor in uh america the ntsc there was a pal version ntsc we'll talk about the ntsc version you were running at uh, 7.14 megahertz uh it had a uh it, it could it had 256k of memory out of the gate now for a pc you know at that time kind of an entry-level pc was that kind of you know the same level that you were getting or was it above that i'd say i recall for the longest time that the pcs that i had you were, you were looking at about 64k then you would go up to like 128 256 that was probably a, a pretty hefty in the day i'll be honest with you I can't remember exactly what I had. I don't think I had anywhere near that much to be completely honest. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, the the, the 8-bit Atari computers. You know, you're, oh, yeah, you're, you're talking about 64K yeah, max. You yeah. Know. Uh, the, uh, I think my PC, I, I know eventually they worked up to 640K, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't too far down the line. So I'd say eventually. But the thing about it is no one with an Amiga, you ask anyone that had an Amiga 1000, and none of them stuck with 256 what everyone did was took advantage of the uh well i used to call it the uh it was the front slot there uh there was an, an expansion port on the front of the amiga you pop it off and it was all it took was a uh, 256k uh, expansion and also it would give you and the expansion would give you a real-time clock which the amiga 1000 didn't have oh uh pretty important yeah and, yeah and that would bring you up to 512k 512k was the amiga standard for almost forever i mean you could run all, probably at least 75 percent of the software ever released on the amiga with that much memory um the uh the amiga 1000 could actually accommodate a 6810 processor if you wanted to uh, this would give you a slight bump in speed uh, i had one and i hated it because every time something didn't work I could always blame it on that processor because there, it created slight incompatibilities. It used to drive me nuts. But it was supposed to give you a slight bump of speed. I don't think I ever saw bump one. But mm. Who could tell? And you're talking, I think the bump was, I mean, it was minuscule. Less than, I think it was less than a, a megahertz of speed. Mm-hmm. It was real low. Um, the, uh, the 1000 had an 86-pin expansion slot on the side. The 1000 had uh, a, a bunch of different... You know crazy stuff that you plugged in there not as much as the 500 but it was mostly memory uh expansion scuzzy hard drive expansion uh, i'd say those are the two most often uh made items for it there'd be some other crazy stuff so there was no didn't come with any hard drive out of the box no <laughs> no but then again my pc didn't have one either mm-hmm. you know back in the day that hard drives were incredibly expensive mm-hmm. It did come with an 880k uh, floppy drive, the Amiga floppy drive, which is mounted on the front. Unlike the 500, it was it was actually a lot easier to get to. Uh, the uh, 
the, the floppy drives could read PC discs if you use the right piece of software. And this is still, these are three and a half inch? Yeah, three yeah. and a half inch. They're right out of the gate. They never had the five and a quarter discs. You know, it seems to me that they had, that you could get an external five and a quarter, but I, don't hold me to that. It seemed, I think I saw that you could at one point. Um, something else, uh, only the 1000 had, this is pretty wacky. Um, the, uh, the operating system was, was buggy, right? So Commodore decided to release the operating system uh, on the on a disk. So the in, the uh, the computer when you boot it up, it just if you don't have a disk and it, it just comes up and says insert boot disk. Right, it's like an old Mac. It's, yeah, but I mean it's, the difference is well I don't know maybe the Mac's the same way. You had the first thing you had to do was insert the kickstart disk every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me. The the I believe the first kickstart I ever had was one point two. The, the prominent one was 1.3. So you were basically, you were loading the operating system. The first thing you had to do was load the operating system Correct. into memory. Yeah. If you did not have your kickstart disk, you could do nothing. Mm -hmm. You could play nothing. You, it, was, it was a paperweight. Mm -hmm. So I remember holding those uh, kickstart disks uh, very gingerly <laughs> and then having a couple extra standing by. Mm -hmm. Because if you lost, if, like if you lost it or if it went bad, you're screwed. You've got to find someone that's got one uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, give, to give you a copy. Um, the Amiga could do 16 colors at 640 by 400, not bad. At at uh, 320 by 200, you get 4,096 colors. Um, uh, it had four channel stereo sound, which was through the through the moon back in those yeah. days. Um, the uh, the sound was just awesome. It had standard standard uh, RCA jacks on the back, and. Uh, you couldn't beat it. I mean, it was, it was, and it still holds up. I mean, mm -hmm. the music sounds, it's just quite good. Um, <coughs> the, the 1000 had what's called the original chipset. Uh, it had, um, uh, different chips to perform different tasks. That's, I mean, it ran at only 7.14 megahertz. So having pro different processes to take over different tasks basically gave it a, a, a speed boost. Uh, you have the Agnes, which is the main control chip on, on the uh, motherboard. Uh, it held, it did your memory stuff. It, it did a lot of routing. It was the main chip, you know, aside from the process. It handled the processors. Uh, the, uh, you had the Denise, which was the video processor. Uh, it did all the video stuff. And then you had your Paula, which was your audio uh, processor. Now, I always thought that uh, these, you know, in, on the Atari, a lot of their chips are named after like chicks in the office, mm -hmm, right? Stuff like that. That's what I always thought the Amiga was. Not, not in this case. I guess I'm an idiot. Uh, the Agnes uh, gets its name address generator units. Oh, so it's, a, it's yeah. an acronym. And then the Denise display enabled. That's what that is. Okay. Paula ports audio and UART. Okay. And but at, but the uh, uh, they had to cheat a little bit it was but, mentioned yeah. <laughs> in a couple places i checked that the paula happened to be the designer's girlfriend's name oh okay so he may have worked that out now right. uh the amiga was codenamed lorraine during its development uh the 1000 which at that time was just called the amiga it was mm -hmm. the amiga and lorraine was the name of the uh the company president's wife oh so that was that was that's a good way to get in with the boss yeah um commodore uh picked up the Amiga after it was essentially done. And there's a whole, you could do a whole different thing on how that went down. But originally, uh, Amiga was a, a joystick company uh, called High Toro. And they made 
think their claim to fame is they made a thing called like a joy board. It was kind of a wacky thing you put your feet on to control games. But they were basically using the joystick company as a cover. So because apparently back in the day, uh, industrial espionage was a real big deal when it comes to computer uh, manufacturers. And so they were trying to keep it secret. So that was sort of a cover for what they were doing. But uh, uh, their, the fruit of their efforts was the 1000. The 1000, to, to finish off, has one really interesting feature. It has, uh, if you pop the cover off of it, I don't know if they all have this, but we always call them the signature edition. I don't, I'm assuming, I've never seen one that didn't have it. But on the inside cover is scrawled everyone's that worked on its name. They've they signed it effectively, and and then they molded around. So the signatures are, are raised, and uh, if you if you look closely, uh, Jay Miner's name was on there from Atari. He was the lead engineer for a while, and also his dog ha has a paw print on there. His dog is Mitchie, and hmm. so Mitchie's got Mitchie's also immortalized on there. So um, you know, obviously this was the most advanced machine you know graphically out at the time i mean i don't think you could argue that right oh it was, it was definitely a graphically audio yeah. so did it, i mean it was it just the same thing that 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 really you know killed so many machines you know was it just a lack of software support from the beginning that that you know was it a, a lack of business no what killed the amiga and, and we're and we're skipping forward uh, a, a few ticks here but what killed them was God awful management. Uh, the, the Commodore was. I remember watching the the thing go down, and I remember the right when I knew they were in big trouble was just one year. I saw the top paid executives in the computer business for that year, and a couple of them were from Amiga and are from Commodore. And Amiga was not exactly firing all cylinders at that point, mm -hmm. and so you know a lot has been made about that. I agree. The bad, bad management, bad advertising. If, if you'll consider the, the last year that they sold the Amiga 1200, I think it sold like 100,000 units or 200,000 units, which, and they they couldn't, they couldn't even fill orders. Mm -hmm. They just, it was a disaster, you know. And so they killed themselves. But let's let's not let's not go that far into the future. What I was trying to ask was. You know, obviously the Amiga 1000 was the first one, right? And so it had to have sold well enough to spur on these other these other machines. But you know, what was it? What what do you think hurt the Amiga right out of the gate? It's a good question. I uh, when I was researching this segment, I I tried to find sales numbers for the 1000. Mm -hmm. Right? No one's got them. Uh, I saw sales numbers for every Amiga ever made. Mm -hmm. You know, guesses, but who can tell the percentage of that that was the, that the one thousand made up? I'm guessing that. Well, I mean, the Amiga did great in Europe. It was it was it was a big time computer. In America, it started out okay. I I think possibly it was perceived as a game machine. That's you know, and the PC was your was your business machine, and the Amiga was the fun machine. That's not good to get picked up when you know in a business world, right? You know, I think lack of good uh, I mean, business did they, software. Did they have a Lotus? Did they have a VisiCalc? Did they have anything like that? They had they had some things. They did not have those. Uh, they had you know they didn't have enough in the biz on the business app side mm -hmm. at first. Uh, eventually, they would get some very good stuff, but uh, it took a while. Yeah, and and. If you look at 1985, what were people using their computers for? Really, they weren't even playing any games on them. 
I mean, I had a PC I played games on, but I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, your average person is, you know, typing in reports and using the word processor and, and spreadsheets and whatnot. So I think that's why they didn't get a good foothold here was, you know, at first. Could the, did the, uh, did the Amiga have the capability of running that software? Oh, yeah. It just, it did. I, it's, it's, it's strange that no one stepped forward and it wasn't very well supported by any of the big manufacturers. I'm not sure they wanted it to succeed. I'm not sure they wanted to, you know, go back and make another version of their software. You know, who knows? Right. That's interesting. Well, we'll have uh, more to talk about uh, Amiga as a company as we kind of march through history, but uh, let's go ahead and move on to our game of the week. Amigo's Game of the Week. So this week's Game of the Week is Hybris. Uh, Hybris is a vertical scrolling sci-fi shoot-em-up for one player. Uh, It was published in 1989 by Discovery Software. Uh, Discovery was not around for a long time. From what I can tell, they were around for about two years. Um, They published uh, just a couple games, and I got this information from uh, Lemon Amiga, uh, great site. Yeah, I mean, just fantastic. If you want to know anything about the Amiga, that is the place to go. Uh, they did the port of the arcade game Arkanoid that came out in '87. Uh, they put out a another game after Hybris called Sword of Sodan. Great game. 1989. I like it. Anyway. We might cover that one in a couple weeks. And then they also did a game that I never heard of called Zoom. Are you familiar with Zoom? You know. I... Yeah, I I think I had a look at it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, I I don't know anything about Zoom either. But those were the the games that I could find that were published by Discovery Software. Um, as far as the coding and the the actual creation of the game, uh, this was a three man team. It was programmed by uh, Martin Peterson. Uh, graphics were by here we go, Torben Bakager Larson. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and music was by Paul Van Der Valk. So um, I'm guessing, I think that this is, uh, these guys are Swedish. Is that right? Did you write that down? I, mean, I don't know where they're from, to be honest um, with you. That could be totally wrong. So uh, just forget I said it. Um, Martin Peterson went on to program uh, Battle Squadron, which was a, another shooter that was later ported to the Genesis. I think it was uh, a, a little bit more well-known than, than Hybris. I'd heard of Battle Squadron. Yeah, before. it was fun. I like that one as well. Um just a couple, a uh, couple other things about our friend Martin. Uh, I found a, an interview with him, pretty recent interview uh, with him on a site called CodeTapper.com, um, and uh, they asked, well, "Who came up with the name Hybris?" And uh, it was actually the the, uh, the guy who did Sword of uh, Sword of Sodan came up with the name, and he said that he'd heard the word in ancient history in high school, and it means to be over courageous. So uh, that seems to fit well, you know, with a with shoot 'em up. Uh, he he developed uh, Hybris in less than a year, from beginning to end. And get this, he was 16 years old when he wow. wrote Hybris. No kidding. So uh, this was one of those. I mean, you hear about these stories all the time about these guys in Europe, especially in Europe. They're they're bedroom programmers. You know, they're living with their parents. They're going to school, and at night they're up all night coding games and and making making money. Um, so. Uh, he uh, he did. It's just incredible that you know, 16 years old, he's already making basically you know what's regarded as one of the best vertical shoot 'em ups for the platform. Um, so uh, at the beginning of the game, there are a couple things on the title screen that I wanted to ask you about. All right. So at the beginning of the game, you can choose 
between JP Maverick or K Lovett as your pilot. Now I couldn't tell any difference between these two pilots. <laughs> and I looked, I, I I actually tried to see if there was a difference. I didn't see anyone that had that ever mentioned that there was. I mean one's a guy, one's a chick. That's about all I can tell. I didn't even know that. How did you know that? There's pictures. There are pictures on there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess I must have blanked that part out. Yeah, there's there's, there's a guy in a chair account. Okay. And uh, another thing that was weird is there's a credit counter. It says credits one. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if this is, you know, from the time period where people are still trying to get that arcade experience at home and they, they just put that in there. But I thought that was that was interesting. Well, if you, if, you know, it, when you put your initials in, you can use the joystick. You know, mm -hmm. sort of the same right. kind of deal. Right. So maybe we're going for it. And it is very arcade -y. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, which I'll get into in a moment. It's really arcade -y. Um, The controls, you, you have the option of using the mouse. I don't know why you'd want to. Is there <laughs> any strategic reason you'd want to use the mouse for? You know, I don't think I've ever tried using the mouse. But Now, the Amiga, they had a two-button mouse, right? That's right. Out of the gate. So, yeah. Um, it would be interesting to know how the, uh, you know, if the ship separation thing that we'll get into later if that that was the second mouse maybe it was easier on the uh, maybe you could you know do the thing that's true easier. that's true um <clears throat> the soundtrack i thought was excellent oh yeah great uh, great memorable yeah i mean the uh there's a great kind of ripping guitar solo as you you know you head out over the desert uh one of the things that i thought was funny is that the gun and some of the guitar solo appear to be on the same audio channel yeah well it's for it's for channel audio uh, I'm guessing that they used. I'm not sure how they did it, but I, yeah, it's funny when you shoot stuff, you'll some of the soundtrack goes away. Mm -hmm. I've heard that in other games. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's limitations of the uh, right. But still, you know, some games let you turn the soundtrack off, and and uh, and, and so you could have full sound, and some games have a soundtrack, and there's no nothing but the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a good uh, middle of the road. One of the things I really liked was that when you died and you come back, you know, the ship drops you off again, and it goes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you come back and it gets you all pumped up to go back in there. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed about the scoring, at least, you know, I'm playing this on an emulator on an original Xbox, but uh, my score was messed up. Um, the score on the left, the last two zeros of the score are dropped. So, you know, it says, I think the, the, the top score when you start the game is like 50,000. And I'm shooting stuff and I'm getting one, two, three points. In reality, I'm getting one or two or 300 points. But uh, did that happen to you on your version? No, I'm I'm playing on a uh, an Amiga twelve twelve hundred, and uh, it was all straight up money. So that that's probably something to do with the uh, emulation. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but once I once I figured that out, I realized that it would be possible to uh, surpass the high score. It's too bad that you figured that out. I would have just crushed you. <laughs> yeah, I'd humiliate you. <laughs> so, um, but uh, anyway, what are your what are your thoughts on this? this well, game? I'll tell you, I love I love Hybris. Uh, I'm not a big fan of shooters, but I thought this was just an awesome game. Still is. It, it held up. I thought it held up great. I remember uh, the first time I had I had an apartment uh, in college, and I had a friend of mine who was a, just a devout PC follower. When I got an Amiga, he was he was appalled at the at the thought that I'd get something that wasn't a PC. He looked at Amigas like like he would look at an Apple. I think it's just garbage, and. Uh, I had him over one night, and I said, "Listen, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, why don't you sit down and try this game?" He didn't want to do it. I was like, "Listen, it's a shooter. You love shooters." He sat down, and uh, he started playing it, and he played it, and he played it. Finally, I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning. He was still sitting there playing. It. His eyes were bloodshot. There were tears streaming down his face, and he goes, 
he turned to me as I walked in the room. He says, I want to buy your Amiga. <laughs> I was like, sorry, pal, you're on your own. But uh, uh, so we got his seal of approval. But it's a great game. I like uh, everything about it, the music. I even like the little transitions when you die. The, the, it's kind of every little square on the screen sort of spirals mm-hmm, around, which is mm-hmm. a, it's a neat effect. Uh, the uh, the power-up system's awesome. It's deep. The expansion of your ship, uh, awesome. That's an awesome uh, gimmick. Smart bomb, awesome. Being able to do that stuff from the joystick's awesome. Having a keyboard, that's the way I did it because I never could spin it. I would sometimes do it accidentally. It's drive me nuts. Um, the the boss battles were neat. I thought it was cool that the bosses would you'd fight one and it would sort of leave, mm-hmm. and you had to go further down the line to to, to go get him. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> the uh, I read something and I never read this before, and it's, maybe this is old news, and maybe you know about it. But uh, someone had mentioned a game called UFO Robo Dangar. Have you heard of this game? Not, not familiar with it. It also is known as Dangar UFO Robo. <laughs> but on the marquee, it says, it's just an arc, it's a coin-op machine. Uh-huh. And I, and they said, yeah, Hyrus is a total rip-off of this. And I was like, what? And I went and had a look at this thing. Mm-hmm. Hyrus is at least a partial rip-off of this. <laughs> this, well, this. This game was eerily similar in, in scrolling background. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it looked exactly the same. I mean, exactly. Now, in in in, in Dangar, you are you start off with like this robot that flies to shoot him up, and he gets extra parts that mm-hmm. make him into a ship. You know what I mean? He gets bigger and bigger, so that that part's the same. Uh, I just watched a little bit of Dangar, about fifteen minutes of it, but it was it, the water, everything. It looked it was very similar. So that's something to check out. I, I'm guessing that there's no coincidence. Right, right. Well, you know, back in those days, especially. You know, with their three-man development team, I'm sure it was uh, people didn't people didn't complain too much when you borrowed things from well, point off games. The funny thing about it is, is that Dangar came out the year before, mm-hmm. but the uh, but Hyrus looks and sounds much better. Really, and that's at home, which is right. that's a something to think about. Oh yeah, and I'm guessing that Dangar didn't have a lot of. I mean, I I never heard of it, and I you know I'm a coin op guy, mm-hmm. so. It must be a pretty rare item. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... the One of the things that I didn't like about this game is the, the power-up system uh, sometimes doesn't do anything for you. Like, say that you're, you've are you got your level one power-up, the power-up you start up with. You get shot at the same time while the level two power-up is on the board. You can't pick up that level two power-up. Yeah. It won't let you, you pick have, it up. You have to be and, on the run. And to me, that's like in Mario, if you're a small Mario and you get a fire flower and it wouldn't let you pick it. It would just it would it just made me mad to no end because I got screwed by that so many times. Well the uh and, and some of the power ups I don't like it's a lot like Alcon. Sometimes you'll get a power up and it's an advance in the power, but the new power I don't like that much. Right. And in this one it's those Kind of lasery electrical lasery things that would come off the ship after you got up that high. Now, are there are there only three levels? I never saw anything past the third level of a power up. I don't, you know, I never really paid attention to how far I got it. There may be four. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is four. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I, I I'm not sure I could survive long enough to get to the four. Yeah. <laughs> it might be that. Yeah, and you know. Overall, you know, I really like this game a lot, especially, you know, in hindsight, knowing that a 16-year-old kid made it, you know, uh, it's just incredible. The The only really weird enemy thing I thought was the way that the bosses kind of shim, shimmy across the screen, 
you know, the rest of the enemies, their movement is real fluid and real nice. But then, you know, you, you this boss comes out doing some sort of soft shoe routine and he's just kind of shimmying across the, the it, it, it doesn't really look menacing, you know. The boss, do they do kind of, uh, I don't know, sashay back and right. forth at the top of the screen. I, I agree. The uh, Really, my biggest grace with the game, and I, I mean, there's a, I like a lot of stuff about it. I like the hidden power-ups. I like the splitting of the ship. I like the power bombs. I like a lot, almost everything. The uh, the alien, the ships that would come in from off-screen, the patterned ships, they were smooth, but they, I kind of like the more of a Galaga formation type stuff where they would spin around. They don't now on later levels, they do a little more of that, but it, for the most part, they're just kind of patterned. They kind of fly on. I wish those were a little more intricate. Uh, and their ships, they don't look like ships. They just look like sometimes they just look like a weird little shape. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Blood Money. It does the same thing with this bad guy. They just kind of wander in and they on these patterns, but. Uh, uh, overall, I mean, that's a minor gripe, and, they, and even those are neat. I mean, I like the fact that you shoot a bunch of them, you get extra points, which mm -hmm. is cool. Uh, I like the uh, smart bombs that those guys on the road shoot at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are neat. In uh, fact, I thought that the way that those those things kind of roll in, they look more impressive than the bosses. Yeah, and they would even sort of roll off screen right. and come back around, right. which made it really tough. Uh, always, one thing I always wondered is if uh, why the... Uh, while the space station is just dropping this little ship off, it's this huge yeah. Why machine can't the space of doom. Station, yeah. you know, <laughs> help out a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. Um, you know, the one of the things that we didn't mention before for people that aren't familiar with the Amiga is that uh, one of the things that makes playing Amiga games a little bit awkward as someone that didn't grow up with them is the fact that there's only one button on the controller. So a lot of times developers had to do kind of funny things to take advantage of a secondary weapon where that second button would be. So uh, like Aaron was saying, to activate the smart bomb, you actually have to hold in the button and then rotate the stick uh, 360 degrees. And uh, so that's, you know, that's not an easy thing to do in the heat of battle sometimes when you're trying to fend off a bunch of enemies. And that I think that's one of the things that, you know, now eventually... Did any Amiga joysticks... You said that some games ended up with two-button support, right? Yeah, well, some eventually they had support. A lot of people were taking Genesis controllers and hook them into the Amiga. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a way you could get, do a little dongle and get an extra button on that. So they're the, these are the, the Amiga joysticks are just a 9-pin... They're straight-up like Atari. Atari. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I use an Atari Wicco uh, uh, on mine, mm -hmm. and I've used it since I've had this thing as long as I've been in the Amiga. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can hook an Atari joystick up to it. But uh, um, eventually, the CD32 came out. It had multiple buttons. Uh, so some games, like I can play some of the games on the CD32, and they'll they'll have multiple buttons for it if you have a setup to accommodate multiple buttons. But most games, I'd say the over overwhelming uh, bunch of games, probably 90% are just one-button games. And sometimes they would put, like in Hyrus's case, they would put some controllers on the keyboard if you needed them. But they came up with the you know cunning way of having to spin the joystick in a certain direction and have things happen, which is a good idea. Right. Uh, as long as you didn't do it accidentally, which I used to do it all the time. <laughs> I remember the first time I did it, and I was like, "What the heck was that?" I didn't yeah. Know there were smart bombs in yeah. the game. Yeah. Um. Another thing I thought was weird is that you can only split your ship a limited amount of times, and those times are timed. Yeah. You know, so you might get forty-five seconds. I don't know how long, but you get a certain amount of time before your ships come back. And uh, I'm not saying I, I like it or dislike it, but it's not something that, uh, you know, the whole mechanic is just kind of, it's unique. Well, I think, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that 
the way that works is, you know, every once in a while you'll hit something and it'll shoot this, start this thing going back and forth across mm-hmm. the screen, yep. and you and you retouch it, it just makes this weird noise. Mm-hmm. And I assume that that's, and the more you hit that those, the longer you can be split. Oh, okay. And I, I didn't, I had no idea what that thing, that ping pong ball thing was. Yeah, so. I mean, did you ever get hit oh, by? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's a good thing. I think that's how you build the charge up for the length of time that, or the amount of time to right. do that. Okay. I uh, don't, again, I, I, I don't know. And I, I'll look at the manual and try to find some information about that. And I, could, I don't know, maybe people, maybe somebody could write in and say, yes, that's exactly what that was. But I, Right. So if you, if you know, leave us some feedback uh, on a Facebook page or you can leave a, uh, a comment on the blog. Um, now, I did watch a Let's Play for this just because I wanted to see somebody that really knew what they were doing. Right. And it's possible to complete this game in just about 30 minutes. Yeah, I watched, I watched, a, I, I've never completed it. I've seen it completed. Uh, the uh, The last level gets pretty funky. Uh, yeah, it looks like you're, uh, you're in the desert, then you're over the ocean. That was where I bowed out. Uh, then it looks like you're kind of, there's this kind of organic material. Yeah, like, and, it was almost like a, uh, <laughs> a bloodstream or right, something. Right, right. It was weird. Looking it was weird. Here. And then you you leave that at the very last minute to fight the last guy in space. I was disappointed um, in the in the last guy. Um, yeah. He. I mean, he just. I don't want to give away any secrets, but I mean, there's not much to give away. Just the last guy. Duh. But he and he looks different, but he it's still sort of a big kind of lumbering thing that. It must be hard, you know. It just must be hard to code. You know, special boss movements or something. You know, it, yeah, I mean, he had a lot more bullets and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he he actually shot other ships. That was kind of neat, right? You know, but uh, but he I mean, he was better than the other bosses, but just by a thread. He looked like something out of Zevia. That's what he looked like. <laughs> now, let me ask you this: uh, I was reading an article on OldGames.com, and they were talking about there's a customized game option in this game. Have you seen that before? It says the number and regularity of the enemy's bombs can be changed. As can the frequency and duration of the expansion. Well, there's a, there's a couple there's a couple of gimmicks. All right, one thing on the on the title screen, when you go to select your pilot, mm-hmm. if you hit the space bar, did you do that? No, because I don't have one. Okay, well, <laughs> you've got an emulated keyboard on the Xbox. Oh yeah, that's true. So anyway, if you hit the space bar, you get an options menu. You can get change number of guys you get. You can so change. You can change how quick they move, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. That must be what this and is. And then, well, there's about. another thing you can do, which I haven't done this, but I, I read about it. You can, on the, uh, when the uh, top 10 scores screen comes up, or how many, I think it's more mm-hmm. than 10. If you just, I, and this is not when you're entering your score, this is just when it comes up during like just the demo. Mode, mode, yeah. Type in Commander. Mm-hmm. If you do that, you'll have access to a special oh. hat cheat screen. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Alex, I'm, that I haven't tried, the space bar. And and uh, of course, I, and full disclosure, this was a game from Europe that I'd never bought. It was one I got I got through nefarious means, you know, 1989 or whatever. So we had I had no uh, instructions. So I actually got the file. I sat down and read the instructions, and I pretty much knew what <laughs> there wasn't much to read. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot of the backstory. Involved. That's about the, and yeah. the backstory has there's no resemblance to the game. Um, so. Uh... The, there were a couple of Amiga magazines that reviewed this when it came out, and they gave it pretty positive reviews. You know, they, nobody gave it a perfect score, but Amiga Computing in January 1989 gave it a 91%. And uh, there was a magazine called The One for 16-Bit Games, and in March 1989, they gave it an 88%. So, pretty good reviews. Pretty good reviews. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think it's a, a, I think it's a, a top 20 game, in my opinion. You know, no, I'm not a, a shooter aficionado. But it's pretty. It sounds nice. Mm-hmm. It's not ridiculously hard. Right, right, right. The challenge, 
you know, I definitely didn't get, you know, crazy far into it, but I never felt overwhelmed. Two players simultaneous play would have put it over the top. Oh yeah. That would yeah. have been that would have been like you know, deluxe got Galaga style. Mm-hmm. Two player at once, that would have been awesome. And then the last little bit of news I have is that uh, there is a new version of Hybris coming out <laughs> yeah, for iOS that. and Android, where everything comes out these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sometime slated for release sometime in 2015. Uh, there's been no exact date, uh, and uh, so they've still got you know half a year to make it happen. So, but be on the lookout. I put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, Cope-com.com. Weird. Slash hybris. So um, that is coming up. I think it's a good choice, too. I mean, hey, the game's old, but it, it plays. It's smooth as silk. It plays well. I don't think there's a whole lot that needs to be done. They should just, you know, do whatever it takes to play it. I mean, I'm sure you can emulate it on the Android now, but it's an excellent game. It's right. an excellent it choice. It, I'm sure they can add online leaderboards and things like that. What would be know? nice if they would just add a few, like, Simultaneous two-player would be awesome, especially if you could play simultaneous two-player with someone that's, you know, just on your phone. <laughs> so yeah. that would be great. Yeah. So um, that's Hybris. It's time to move on to the most important part of the podcast, the scores. So, Aaron, what was your top score? I will say that I, I've played this game for years. I've never been that good at it, right? Uh, and I usually I just continue and continue until I just say I can't get any further. But I was on, on one quarter, as it were. <laughs> Uh, I had the best game I've ever had of it, for what that's worth. I got 320,900. Wow, that is very impressive. That is more than double my high score. <laughs> oh, wow. I got 158,325. Wow, what happened? So, well, that was actually one of my better times. Did you, just, did, you, how, did you get to the second level? I did get to the second level. I did not stay long. Uh, but uh but i i played what i thought was a pretty good game it just wasn't good enough well to be fair i have a few decades on you when it comes to this particular game now i'll i'll freely admit when it comes to me games this is one of my better games i guess you mm-hmm. know uh it's what i've played a lot over the years uh it's it's an it's an awesome game and when you get the feel of how to use that expansion of your ship when you hit the uh the, the big boom buttons mm-hmm. I do have a problem in uh, shoot 'em ups with uh, regulating the use of the smart bomb. Yes. Uh, I, I frequently die without using any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so oh no, so you're, you're super thrifty when it comes right, to using them. Right. Yeah, you gotta gotta let them go. You get them back quick though, usually in this game. So. Right, right. So, but anyway, that's Hybris, uh, and that's the end of our first episode. Uh, you can leave us feedback at the Facebook page. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. We've also got a blog at Amigos.com. Or no, that's not right. Amigospodcast.com. Close. Um, and uh, that will redirect you to our blogger site that's got links to all the things we talked about and uh, also recordings. Uh, we are in the process of getting approved on iTunes. I expect that to happen by the time you listen to this. And uh, Or if you want to just download the episodes, you can do that from the blog, or you can stream them uh, also from the blog. So, uh, from here in... Oh, I didn't even tell you where we were recording from. We were recording from scenic, beautiful Hurricane, West Virginia, in my in my basement. So beautiful. It is. It's scenic. It's wonderful. Uh, so, from Hurricane, West Virginia, and this is uh, John Schaller. And Aaron. Uh, signing off. See you Adios. next time.